You're listening to Go with Jamarlin Martin. We have a go hard or go home approach as we talk to the leading tech leaders, politicians, and influencers. Let's go. The title of this podcast is The Multi-Factor Rebellion and the Sneaky Democrats. You know, I was in awe in terms of Minnesota taking off, uh, the way they took off, you know, how aggressive they were. You know, I had never, I was uh, in the LA riots in LA. I was living in LA at the time, but the way Minnesota took off and then lit a fire, lit a spark across the United States, uh, I was in awe. I mentioned last year that something has snapped in black America. You know, I don't believe that this protest is about uh, George Floyd specifically uh, in terms of the scale of the protest and the reason behind the protest. You know, I think that there was a buildup of lingering issues that have not been resolved. You know, we saw, you know, some signals during the, the primary in terms of the black voter not supporting Kamala Harris, the black voter not supporting Cory Booker. To me, that signaled that there was something going on, uh, something big going on uh, in terms of the, the political thinking of black America. To me, that was a volatility signal in terms of if the people just don't move with the Jay-Z or Kamala Harris or Cory Booker, you know, the Obama model, hey, they're black, they're successful, let's support them. But if the people are going from shallow political readers to having depth, more depth and wanting to go down to another layer, that was going to, you know, shake things up in terms of you would start seeing uh, some instability. And I actually predicted that in the next financial crisis, this was a year ago, that uh, reparations was going to explode. So that was my uh, prediction. There's like a gumbo of things happening. And from my perspective, it's beautiful. What's going on is beautiful because you have MAGA uh, checking the Democratic Party establishment uh, in terms of shocking them. Obama thought he was going to hand things over to Hillary that wasn't to be. So that's the first shock. And then, you know, you have people, some Negroes saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe 53% of uh, white women voted MAGA. Oh man, I thought things were a certain way with Obama. You have the first shock with MAGA. Uh, then you have COVID-19. And then you have a financial crisis where people are going quarantine crazy. You know, people committing suicide. People are really feeling uneasy. Uh, in terms of the conditions. And so in Minnesota, for example, you know, in terms of how many factors probably came into play, you had, you know, over 80% of voters under 40 going for Bernie Sanders in Minnesota. A lot of those people out there protesting, I imagine, uh, skewed towards Bernie Sanders. And so voters under 40 prefer Bernie Sanders, like 80%. But the establishment, including Barack Obama and some of the, the leaders of the Democratic Party, they colluded and, of course, wanted to stop that. They want, you know, they tell the people to just vote, but then they organize themselves and collude with each other to try to protect that center corporate power base in the Democratic Party. So, you know, when these, you know, leaders in the Democratic Party, when they move, they may tell you to vote, but behind the scenes, they're really consistently moving against voters who are under 40. So on one hand, they say, 
you know, we're all about change, let's change, just vote. But on the other hand, when you dig in in terms of how they're moving and who they endorse, nine times out of 10, they're going against voters under 40. So they're not really about change from my perspective. They, you know, they say things, they say nice things, it sounds good. Uh, but when you dig in, they really want to keep that kind of corporate 70 plus congressman or congresswoman and senator. They want to keep that power base in place. They don't want that to change too much. So really they're trading against change when you really look at it. There's all these things going, going on. Uh, and that's why I call it a multi-factor uh, rebellion, that this thing happened, of course, during a, a pandemic. It happened, of course, after uh, MAGA won the election. Uh, and it's happening during a financial crisis where people, their pockets uh, are hurting. Uh, then there's so much frustration with the Democratic Party. You know, you just have so many different issues. Things blew up. But the thing is, it's good that things are blowing up. But your orientation, of course, needs to be for the people on the bottom because essentially MAGA, the pandemic, the financial crisis, these shocks to America, big shocks, historic shocks, record shocks, these shocks that are happening in America, they're speaking things into the surface, into the mainstream that our leaders, our so-called leaders, they can't say, they're not structured to say, you know, they have corporate deals, they have conflicts, or they're just cowardly, or they don't care. But essentially that these shocks, C-19, financial crisis, MAGA rising to power, they're beaming and shouting things relevant to black people and freedom and justice and equality for black people. They're saying things that the leaders will not say. And so... That vacuum that was created with this this new wave of black politics, where it's very corporatist, it's very risk averse. Uh, don't say anything to shake anything up. Let's just get this money here and there at the top. That these shocks are saying things that you want to be said real loud for the people who don't have the lobbyists, don't have the big relationships, uh, don't have the backing of the establishment Democratic Party. Well. These events are saying the things that need to be said for the people who don't really have a voice, who are not moving with the elites and the establishment, particularly the Negro establishment. This rebellion was just beautiful. I mean, you know, you had issues here and there, but man, I was just in awe. And I know, you know, people uh, were putting in work and protesting all over America, but the way Minnesota took off, uh, Minnesota quickly created the template for others to follow. Minnesota, I was just in awe. You know, little things I would say that, that bother me, such as uh, people getting mad at Antifa and why are the white folks blowing up the police station and this and that. Guess what? Although the protests had millions of people out there across the various cities, the real kind of energy that's going to really influence America and the rulers and the leaders and the corporations is not just we shall overcome peaceful protests. You know, that's not really, you know, you've done that before, okay? It's not about how many protesters come out. When you are Antifa, 
you want to invite some of these corporate types as your ally to the cookout. But Antifa is the one who's out there blowing up the police station for you. You know, they're out there setting the property on fire, uh, setting, go, you know, blowing stuff up and setting fires across America. You're out there, some of you are out there, huh, uh, we're supposed to be peaceful protests. It's the white folks, uh, Antifa, doing all this damage. You are not, you may not have the history or you may not have the understanding that America doesn't, you cannot appeal to America morally. If you could appeal to America morally, our condition would be drastically different, meaning that that's a dead wall. You can't appeal to America with peaceful protests. However, if you're able to make America feel and the establishment and corporations feel that their money is at stake, Okay, their stock market, their businesses, their property, their mansions. If you can make them think that, hey, if we don't make some changes, this whole thing can go up in smoke. What was going on was a negotiation. You're going to have more leverage the harder the protest is. And I know, you know, some people, they, they're thinking on a micro scale is that, oh man, you know, my local Target was messed up and I got a shop there or the local... Wendy's was messed up and man how am I going to get a burger and the local community in Atlanta uh we can't blow it up because Killer Mike and T.I. own half the the west side uh that we can't really do damage to our own community first off what it looked like to me is most of the protesters were targeted meaning that they're going after the CNN headquarters uh Wendy's uh, Target Walmart police stations that most likely 80% of the targets, these, this property was not black-owned, first of all. The people were conscious uh, for the most part uh, in terms of how I read things as I was closely watching the development. So, so one is that we have to think macro. And so a lot of people, of course, are going to be scared, like in the plantation days. Some people are going to be scared to go on a hunger strike and not eat the chitlins. Some people are going to be scared to leave the plantation. Some people are going to be scared to fight back against the slave owner or ride on the slave owners. There's always going to be a segment of the population where their risk orientation is going to be drastically different than a stronger small group. But this stronger small group most likely is where is who's going to produce most of the gains. So when it's time to get free and people are scared of the slave cutting necks off, cutting arms off, cutting legs off, if they're scared of the slave to come back and, and shoot back and everybody gets free, it is weird. the small pockets of people who are pushing the heat on the system, that's where most of the distribution of the gains most likely are going, who should get credit? If Antifa is going to come and ride on the state, ride on the corporations, ride on the property, is going to freak America out, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Of course, there's been a punk political psychology that has developed with this new black ideology. Uh, and so, you know, you think that things are going to change by looking cute. Uh, you think things are going to change by getting a few more black businesses or you're going to just incrementalize your way uh, out of your condition. You're not getting out of this situation by looking cute, 
okay? You're not getting out of this condition with protest signs. I mean, you know, you want to see the people out there. I think that's good. That's valuable. But you shouldn't be thinking that you're better than someone else who's throwing a rock in the window of Target or blowing up a police station. Uh, that if you have any allies among white people, it's going to be the people who are risking something for your cause. They're risking prison. They could be risking their life. But you don't have any allies if the people are not willing to risk something in your direction. And so, you know, you, you may cry and say, where where the white folks at? And they never show. Well, they showed up with rocks. They showed up with fires. Why don't you embrace that? They were ready to ride. I thought that that was beautiful in terms of uh, different people coming out to ride on this system. You should be encouraged by people coming out wanting to blow up the police station with a statement. How do you think this stuff is going to move? You think it's going to move with Barack Obama or Kamala Harris or, you know, some of these other leaders? How do you think this stuff is going to move? I think the multi-factor rebellion was beautiful. You want to see big events and shocks confirm what you already believe. Ideally, you know, there's all you always want to be changing and growing in terms of your knowledge uh, and information, but uh, you want, you know, the C19 uh, data, you want the rebellion, you want the rise of MAGA. These things shouldn't come as a shock because if you're studying what's going on and you understand the various parties and you have some depth, these things would just confirm what you already know. Uh, and so, for example, Eidos has been preaching reparations uh, in these events, of course, and the money printing in terms of how fast America can print money when it needs it. This just confirms Eidos and the philosophy that they've developed uh, our theme that they've developed around reparations in terms of their specific viewpoint that the information that you're seeing in the data and the facts and the current events are confirming what, what's already believed, meaning that these events may push other people towards reparations, but they were already here in a sense. As an example, you know, I think that this was a, a beautiful development. And so one big takeaway from this, and this is a, another future volatility a signal to me in terms of things are likely going to be unstable with this, is that the multi-factor rebellion, it flushes out the big Democratic Party scheme for black America and for the country. Because essentially how things have been working is you know, in most cases, you need a prosecutor, you need a district attorney, you need somebody who's involved, or a sheriff, you need somebody who's involved with putting black people in jail, okay, you need somebody who's tough on crime, okay, so Obama, he wasn't a cop, he didn't go through that funnel, but he had to pick Joe Biden, one of the toughest cops in the history, if not the toughest cop in the history of the Democratic Party in terms of pro-prison, pro-police, tough on crime, uh, co-sponsor of the Clinton crime bill. Joe Biden is the cop, meaning that the, the if you're thinking at a macro system level, he's one of the co-designers of the system. This is the Steve Jobs 
of mass incarceration. Uh, he's a co-enforcer, co-designer of the system. Okay, so Obama had to select the cop. Kamala Harris, she knew, you know, a lot of people know that that is a great place for a black politician, particularly a black woman, if you can pair that identity mix with tough on crime, putting people to jail, arresting parents whose kids are not going to, to school, that if you can put that stuff together in terms of being pro-police and catering to the police unions, the powerful police unions, then that's been a successful formula for the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party has been pro-police, has been pro-cop, pro-mass incarceration. You know, when people want to debate and their feelings get hurt, when you talk about facts and, and the history and the scam, I wouldn't debate with other people uh, because if the Democratic Party and some of these leaders are part of their personal identity, uh, you know, I don't think you can get anywhere. I think you need a starting place, uh, understanding in terms of what would be worth your time is that the Democratic Party has been a co-conspirator, co-sponsor, co-designer, co-enforcer of anti-black uh, systems, okay? The anti-black system in America. The Democratic Party is the co-founder, is the co-designer, the co-chief marketing officer. And so you see this in the VP options that Joe Biden has, Kamala Harris, a cop, Val Demings, a sheriff, cop. Joe Biden is a cop himself. And I believe the governor of Michigan was a, a former prosecutor. You know, the Democratic Party has been in bed with the cops. Although you vote like it's a new Popeye's chicken, some of you uh, vote like it's a new Popeye's chicken sandwich coming out for the Democratic Party or, you know, there's a Million Man March uh, that, I, that I attended in 1995, catching a bus from L.A., that you vote for the Democratic Party in fanatical numbers, uh, cult-like numbers. But the thing is, at the end of the day, although you vote like that, if you're going to vote anyway for the Democratic Party then they can side with the cops against you. So you don't have anywhere to run. You know, they can say, look how bad Maggie is. You don't got nowhere to go, nigga. You know, you don't have anywhere to run. Where are you going to go? Okay, we know you're going to vote Democrat. Like when a pawn shop opens up on the corner in the hood, you know, they know that you can't go to a bank to cash your check. You know, there may be something, some type of barrier. And so they're going to look to step in, charge you a high interest rate, and exploit our condition. That's how the Democratic Party works too. So if they can see an inefficiency where you don't have anywhere to run, meaning that MAGA is perceived to be so bad, they can charge you a high political interest rate. They can go with the cops. They can go with the prisons. They can neglect. They can do a lot of things that they were not able to do with for example, an APAC. That APAC voter may switch over to the Republican Party, but the APAC is also influencing how the party's running in a way that you're not. The multi-factor rebellion, it brings to the surface the scam. And that's why the Democrats have been operating a big scam uh, like they're not a co-conspirator against you. Uh, you could have a Democratic Party mayor. 
a Democratic Party governor, a Democratic Party city council, a Democratic Party sheriff, Democratic Party congressmen, Democratic Party senators. In the big cities where most of the abuses and the murder is occurring, this is under Democratic Party control. So the accountability energy has never really been applied to the Democratic Party. It's in Nancy Pelosi's and Chuck Schumer and the Democratic Party's interests and Barack Obama to point the finger at the systemic issues at MAGA. You know, so point the fingers at MAGA because if you point the finger where it needs to go in terms of accountability for the people that you give your votes to, you know, if you hold those people accountable and you ask them questions about why are they keeping for the police so much? Why are they keeping for the prison so much? Why are they under the leadership of the police unions? Why do the police unions have so much power in these Democratic Party cities and states? If you turn the attention to them, then they would have to take more risk with the white Democrat and conservatives in the Democratic Party and the centrists. That would make their job tougher if you audit the Democrats and what they're doing with policing. So the scam is up. The scam in terms of the incestuous relationship between the elites and rulers of the Democratic Party and the police unions uh, and the mass incarceration state, the scam is being brought to the surface. And so America, the politics of America, as people find out some of these scams and how the system has worked, you know, this will produce more instability because in the past, America has gotten over, meaning that, you know, people are focused on something else. They're not looking at the details. But over time, more of the scam and how the system works becomes revealed, and this produces a lot of volatility or instability. Most likely, the course that America is on is you're going to see a lot of volatility and instability at least over the next 10 years. Uh, because different groups of people are recognizing the scamminess of the political system in terms of how it works. They're throwing it up. You know, the Democrats are throwing it up. MAGA's throwing it up in their own way, that the people are going to continuously throw up various parts of the American political scam as they become more educated of how the system works. They're not going to like it. They thought it was a lot better than it was, uh, but it's rotten uh, at its core. The way Minnesota took off and sparked taking off in other cities helped bust up the scam in a way that no leader, no rapper, no celebrity, no scholar, no academic, no one could bust up the scam like the people busted up the scam in the streets. Uh, and so the streets are going to be more powerful because you can't control it. You can't come in and cut Jay-Z a check. You can't come in and make a deal with Barack Obama. You can't come in and make a deal with a celebrity rapper or somebody to calm things down, to pacify the people. Uh, you want a position where the state, that includes corporations who control the politics, highly influence the politics, own a lot of the politics, that 
if the state believes that they cannot control black America, then value has to be distributed down to the people because there needs to be a state response to how risky you've become. I never really get in debates uh, online on, on Twitter. You know, some black tech types popped into uh, my comment section when I posted something of Jay-Z. And the image was the killer cop, his knee was on George Floyd. Uh, I showed a photo of the murder scene. And I think the message was something like, when Jay-Z said to stop kneeling, he wasn't talking to me. And so what I was trying to communicate uh, with that image was the severity of the deal that Jay-Z brokered with Jay-Z where the financial numbers have never been revealed. They've been kept secret uh, with Rock Nation and the NFL. And so, of course, uh, I thought that this wasn't just some simple deal. That's, I did a podcast on it because I thought that the influence and the moral authority of a guy like Jay-Z in terms of how America looks uh, up to him like a hero, like Barack Obama, if he does a deal with the NFL and jumps over Kaepernick or in many uh, people's eyes, jumps over the movement to get the check, if he negotiates himself into some type of pacification deal where he helps the NFL's problems go away. If he's doing that, that could have massive implications for the people on the streets. I thought, at, in real time, I thought this was a big deal. I didn't think that this was just some celebrity, uh, you know, making a deal and, you know, nothing to it. You know, everybody does business. But... This was a policy move uh, in terms of if the world's attention is on Kaepernick and Kaepernick is trying to keep the light on the police brutality, the police murder, if he's making it a national discussion, it's like a black Al Jazeera in terms of, you know, that controversy just constantly going on TV every week. It's keeping the, the problem uh, into the mainstream. Kaepernick don't just think about him or Jay-Z. Don't just think about the personalities. But the the net result is that this issue is perpetually beamed into the mainstream of America. It's keeping the light on that where, you, you know, people are not just going to forget about it. You're dealing with the state's money. You're dealing with the state's sport in terms of the relationship between the NFL, corporate America, the media companies, ESPN, uh, you're dealing with this, with, you're increasing volatility with the state. You're making the state uncomfortable with Kaepernick getting other players involved in terms of a protest. And so a, uh, a report came out that the Pentagon, after the rebellion uh, started, a report came out that the Pentagon requested a study or uh, another agency requested uh, a study from the Pentagon about a rebellion uh, where people were frustrated with the system. The government, you got to understand that J. Edgar Hoover was really smart. He knew that based on the history of America, that you really have to watch black America because of the nature of how we came over to the United States. 
because of the history, the black population could blow up uh, a really big problem for the rulers of America. Uh, and so they want to keep the temperature at a certain level. Okay, they have to keep the temperature at a certain level. If the level goes to extremes, and you're out there tearing up cities all across the United States because you can't eat a sandwich or, you know, you're getting killed by the police or you can't get a job or you're just tired of everything and you want reparations. The government needs to keep that temperature. They have already prescribed a temperature in terms of how they have to keep it. And so when you see your celebrities in a pacification lane in terms of exchanging some type of money for calming things down. I would put Barack Obama, Jay-Z, Al Sharpton uh, in that box, meaning that they have worked over the years in various capacities where they are going to calm black America down, calm the criticism down. And there may be money our future commercial value exchange to keep the temperature at a certain level, meaning that they're not going to crank it up, okay? They need the corporate state, you know, level, the level that the state's comfortable with and the rulers. They need it at a certain level. And the state is going to have operatives and agents and informants that play a role, including rappers and hip-hop artists, they're going to have people out there in the black community that's looking to pacify. We need our eyes wide open. There are people studying where this stuff is going right now. Okay, this historic event and where things are moving, there's people studying this stuff. And they're looking at who, we, who are we going to work with to calm the people down. You know, now they know about the Democratic Party scam with the police. Now, you know, they're they're not moving with black leaders. Like, you know, you used to be, oh, it's a black Democrat, a black man, a black woman. Oh, boy. You know, people would start crip walking and, and line up and support the brother or sister who's running. The people are not thinking. A lot of the young people, they're not thinking like that. They're not thinking like that. They're thinking of specific policies for black America, substance. Keep the Kente cloth symbolism. Keep the black VP. Keep the black person on the Supreme Court. Keep any symbols and symbolic gestures. You can keep them. Let's just talk about reparations. Let's talk about going to the root of the problem. We can do all the symbolism and stuff, all that, you know, little stuff, uh, you know, the institution institutionalization of a new holiday uh you know let's 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 put that to the side and really what i want you to do is come to watts come to the south side of chicago come to compton come to baltimore bring all the democrats and let's sit down and talk about going to the root of these problems and reparations and creating a path on how to get there the scam is up. Whenever you see the Democratic Party offering things, symbolic things, you have to understand uh, that they're very sneaky. If the system is as bad as you say it is, and many of you know it is, how do you think 
they're going to play things like you wanting to see yourself. You're desperate to see black. You think that they are going to negotiate with you where you know they are sincere, or do you think they're going to abuse that desperation and exploit it? There's been so much symbolism over the years, I humbly say, that we have to pull back and say, hey, we can do all the symbolic stuff and blackface here and this and, and it can't take cloth there. And, you know, you go into Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles at the campaign season, you know, all that stuff. Go ahead and do that stuff if that's what you want to do. But that we're not being taken and scammed anymore. We know you're real sneaky in terms of colluding with the cops, colluding with the police state colluding with the mass incarceration state. We know to be an influential and successful Democrat, you've had to go through the police, anti-black police mass incarceration system gateway. We know that you've been sneaky with this politics because we know you control the areas where the most police abuse is, the cities and the states. So I want to go back to... Uh, my point in terms of uh, the international image of America being currency for black America. There was a scholar, her name is Mary Dudziak. She studied the civil rights movement and she put out a book about the civil rights movement out of Princeton University Press in 2000. Uh, her book was called Cold War Civil Rights. Race and the Image of American Democracy. What she found uh, in this book was that the way Dr. King and the Civil Rights Movement and uh, Malcolm X and the Nation of Islam and various you know, organizations, the way the Civil Rights Movement was developing and the way it was broadcasted in international media, that this really impaired America's foreign policy position, uh, particularly against Russia. She uh, makes the argument that one of the things that really moved the needle for civil rights legislation was that on one hand, America needs to be able to be judge and jury and police the world to control. Okay, it needs some type of perceived moral authority. But when you have the dogs biting on uh, black students and, and, and black people, and you have this stuff beamed all over the world, it could impair America's ability to transact its foreign policy with the world in terms of how it wants to move. Uh, and so if the people across America are so frustrated and so much of in pain that they're lighting fires across the United States, that's telling the world that America's moral authority is gone. America, when you look at how Trump is running his affairs and you look at this multi-factor rebellion, that's telling you that America's foreign policy is, is now compromised. The streets have compromised America's foreign policy. Uh, when you beam out a historic rebellion, you know, there's images of fighting with the police, uh, blowing up uh, police precincts, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people breaking out, uh, people from all walks of life out there marching uh, against the state, the police state. That's saying that now 
you are pushing some very sensitive buttons. You're pushing some very sensitive uh, buttons. Essentially, when you start pushing the buttons of foreign policy and potentially messing with the money, the mansions, the, the, the business, the businesses, you start messing around uh, with the stock market where people are less confident in terms of, you know, having a rebellion in the middle of a financial crisis and a pandemic. People could be spooked. Investors could be spooked. You're touching some very sensitive areas in terms of how America handles its affairs. You know, I wanted to uh, cover that. And then also uh, back to, you know, the rebellion uh, and some little things. Maybe not, maybe they're not little things. It was strange that the Minnesota governor, you know, he did a press conference and uh, he said, I was just on the phone with Jay-Z. And I'm like, you know, he, he said, he acted like he really wanted people to know that he was talking to Jay-Z as he was trying to, you know, quiet and kill the protests. As he was trying to calm the people down, the Minnesota governor said he's been on the phone with Jay-Z. And, you know, I think about a Wall Street Journal article where, you know, Obama was getting a lot of criticism in terms of doing something for black America. And he hired Al Sharpton. The Wall Street Journal reported that uh, two people close to Obama, you know, they, they were saying that when he used to mention Sharpton's name, he really wanted to let black people know that he was talking to Sharpton. Obama used Sharpton as a weapon to calm down black criticism. You know, you got Cornell West out there. You got some, you got uh, Maxine Waters. You got people saying, hey, you know, we wrote for you at election time and we had a lot betting on you. We want a little something. We want more attention. And of course, Obama said, stop complaining. And then, of course, he hired Al Sharpton as part of his pacification strategy. Uh, and so you have to consider when your leaders are, uh, talking to the state in real time during a rebellion, you know, you should have some questions. Why are they talking to this person? What is being said? And is that leader being positioned to influence your politics? And, and going back to uh, these black tech types, more, you know, entrepreneurs who jumped into my uh, Twitter comments and they didn't like the image I posted of Jay-Z. You know, the first thing I was thinking about is, uh, first, I've tweeted like 10,000 times. Are you saying that the only time you're going to engage in some type of debate or commentary during a pandemic and a rebellion is to defend who you call Hova? Is that how sick you are? That I've, you know, all the information and commentary uh, that I share uh, during a pandemic, a financial crisis, and a rebellion, the only time you can say something is to defend HOVA. So if someone was working with the federal government, they, that's mission accomplished because you have people out there who are loyal to political profits. If the state was ever to compromise the political profit, he could compromise the masses, or they could compromise the masses. So 
when these people get involved with these political cults and they start following these personalities, it's real dangerous to the freedom and justice of black America because the state has a big wallet. The state can offer a lot of things. If you're believing in these political prophets or celebrities, the way to get to black people is to get to the leader. Unless black people start moving on principles, on agendas, on a set of policy items, on reparations, and there is no leader. The people you, you can go ahead and pay the leader off. You can go work with the leader. You can go help the leader do a corporate deal or you know get in the big a, a big deal that they were they were looking to do. But that's not gonna impact how the people on the street and the masses move politically. If you could separate the political or celebrity cult leader and their little followers who believe anything and they're real naive. Uh, so-and-so would never do that. So-and-so would never cut a deal. So-and-so really has the heart of the people. They think in very shallow terms about these critical issues relevant to black America, freedom and justice and equality. If we know that people are imperfect and people are flawed, and we know that we live in a very corrupt system, you can't put it past the state and some of these leaders from cutting a deal against our people, the best interests of our people. You know, it was very weird. I'm like, man, you know, you're in the middle of a financial crisis, a pandemic, and you're out here. It was uh, two guys, two brothers, and they were, they were defending who they call Hova. You know, grown men calling Jay-Z Hova. Uh, and so that tells me that, you know, you're in some type of re cult religion. When we're talking about freedom and justice and equality, we're not getting into all this cult worship and all this other stuff. If someone is in partnership with the state and the people are riding against the state, anybody who's on that other side, they're liable to get hit with some heat. If the NFL is at war or there's some type of government activity that's involved with the NFL in terms of silencing Kaepernick and trying to kill the protests, that if a black person goes to that side, or you could say, hey, you know, they go over to the Confederacy. Uh, you know, the Confederacy has a check. You know, there's an issue that we're working out, and the Confederacy is offering dollars, and your favorite rapper or politician, they go make a compromise or a deal with the Confederacy, and that means you got to go too. That means that's, you know, that's okay. We're not going to get to the next level. Uh, with this type of uh, cult worship. In this day and hour, I'll be very, very careful with leaders who are going to come out, some people who may surprise you. If they're bringing pacification energy, don't go so hard on the police. Uh, don't do this. You got to be pragmatic. Why don't you wait for reparations? Uh, stop talking reparations. If you start to see that energy out there with the celebrity elite black political crowd, you need to be very, very careful and mindful that the government's budget to pacify black America has gone up. You have raised the stakes with this multi-factor rebellion. You don't want to 
be loyal to leaders. You want to be loyal to the truth. You want to be loyal to freedom and justice and equality. You want to be loyal to the streets. You want to be loyal to black America. Get out of the Peter Pan syndrome of acting like a kid or a child and hanging from the nuts of these celebrities and political leaders. There's a reason why corporations are comfortable with them. Okay, there's a reason for that. But the rebellion is showing you that you need to make America uncomfortable. So if their energy is to make America comfortable and to not say too much, and you see the streets, they say a lot and take off, and then you see stuff start moving where the police union contracts uh, are being challenged and in some cases canceled. Uh, where the police budgets are being cut now. If the energy is producing this type of result, that's telling you you need to go into an uncomfortable direction. If the, if the state is comfortable with the politics, it's not for black America. The history does not support that. The history supports is when we're sick and tired and we crank it up and we're ready to take off, then and only then can there be movement, the possibility of movement. Be very mindful of the pacification energy that's coming, and it usually comes with checks, people taking checks. You know, one unfortunate thing uh, from the beautiful rebellion, I don't want to uh, take away from all the, the positive aspects, uh, but one thing, you know, this is the nature of a corrupt system. You know, when the corporations are allocating billions towards racial justice and, you know, hiring and investing and, you know, they're doing all these things that the value that the streets produce, the people who are going to speak up and the people who are going to risk going to jail or risk being shot by the police, uh, the value that comes from this activity, the fires blowing up the police station, any value from the state is not going to be efficiently distributed towards the people. A lot of the money that corporations are dropping down, a lot of the policies that they're dropping down, there's going to be a select few people, black people who benefit, people who are already making, you know, six figures or more. And so the streets put in puts in the work, but the people who benefit the most from the street activity are the people who are not going to take any risk. These are people who are risk averse. These are people who are not willing to put in the work. These are people who are not willing to lose a check based on principle and freedom, justice, and equality. These are people who are not going to be telling the truth like it should be told. They have to not shake things up to keep their position in America. But the value from the multi-factor rebellion sparked by George Floyd, if things were efficient and just, the value, the billions, would be going to the bottom. But the billions that are going to be raining down, or some people may call them George Floyd bags, the billions will be pushed to the top. There'll be more deals for the, the people who are unwilling to speak up who are not going to put skin in the game, who are not going to take off, they are going to get 
a lot of the monetary value that comes down from corporate America and possibly the, the state. You know, that's just the nature of the beast in terms of the system we live in. But the big scheme of things is that a statement was made. You know, reparations, as I predicted a year ago, uh, that reparations would blow up during the next financial crisis in America. And it's doing just that. The big picture is that we're getting closer to the truth. We want the truth to rise to the surface. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. You know, you're going to lose some friends. You may lose some family members. But the truth has to rise to the surface. Uh, that going back to how politics and the political ideology has been moving the last 20 years, where, you know, the corporatist, the corporate America is controlling the politics by validating certain people. The state is controlling the black politics. Once that is loosened and it goes in the direction of the streets, it goes in the direction of the people, there's reasons uh, to be optimistic that things are going to be moving. More uh, of the scams are going to be moving to the surface. Uh, you want that truth rising to the surface. It's going to make people uncomfortable. It's going to make people scared. It's going to make people back away from you if you're, if you're talking the truth that's in the best interest of the bottom. That it's going to shake things up. But this volatility is good because we can't go back to the paradigm that seems to be going out. One paradigm, one re political regime is going out and another one uh, is coming in and that's beautiful. Let's go. Thanks everybody for listening to Go. You can check me out at Jamal and Martin on Twitter and also come check us out at mogulddom.com. That's M-O-G-U-L. DOM.com. Be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can get the latest information on crypto, tech, economic empowerment, and politics. Let's go.